You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, awesome. That is our alpha group that's starting up as part of small groups. And uh, we we really love alpha. I think it's a great space if you uh, are trying to figure out faith or just God or if there is a God or if you're even safe asking those questions, I want to encourage you that Alpha is that place. It's a place for questions and discovery. And I think in our world right now, there's not a lot of uh, really safe places to ask questions without judgment and just to come to the table and try to understand. And uh, if you've never wrestled through the, the faith question or the God question, can I encourage you? It's worth uh, investing your heart and time into. Now, we believe that Jesus is transformed formative and it'll change your life. But if you're not there or you're joining us online and you're just like, man, I, a friend brought me. I'm not even sure about any of this. You're like, and I don't even know what to ask. And I der- certainly don't want to Google it. Uh, I encourage you to come check out Alpha. It's a great space. You can come see if it's for you. Uh, there's no proselytizing. It's just asking questions. So uh, I encourage you sign up for that. You can sign up in the back or you can sign up online or on the Church Center app and you can get all that information. But that's it. So uh I have the pleasure of preaching and leading worship. I managed to double book myself this week, but my name is Josh, and I'm the lead pastor here at Banner Church. And uh, this is my beautiful wife, Katie. Uh, Today is our 12-year anniversary. So, yes, she gets more beautiful every year. It's like every year, more and more beautiful. I'm just like up here playing, just distracted by how beautiful she is. I've looked like this, except now with a beard, pretty much the whole time. So <laughs> she has gotten the worst end of the deal. But uh, but we're excited. We got uh, This week we went camping up on the Mogollon Rim. Got to spend some time where it's 80 degrees instead of 100 degrees. And uh, that part of Arizona that nobody tell Californians about that's full of trees and it's beautiful. Uh, it's amazing, but nobody tell anybody about it because um, we wanted to stay beautiful and amazing. Uh, we got to go there and camp. It was super fun, but I've been really excited to finish our Elijah series uh, this week and really kind of wrap it up. We've been going through the person of Elijah, and I find Elijah to be such a fascinating uh, person in Scripture, and really we've been looking at as God is creating him and building him into a man of God. Now, this is the thing we've talked about is uh, in the culture of polarizing personalities and striving to become and make and be and all these things, the really what the this moment and this time in the church needs now is men and women of God. People who rise up in trusting the Lord and who have their hearts steadfast in Him and who then in turn see a move of God. And so we've been looking at Elijah as one of those great examples. There's many in Scripture, but he's a good one. And we've looked at the ups and downs. How many of you know life has ups and downs, right? And we've looked at him in his greatest victory and his deepest depression. We've looked at him uh, as he's walked through seasons and learned to trust. And today we're going to wrap it up with the introduction of Elijah. 
Shah and their very first interaction. Now, after this interaction I'm going to talk about today, Elisha kind of goes on the back burner, and Elijah does more stuff, and there's more scripture about him, but we don't have all the weeks to cover it because we're going to go into a series next uh, week called Everyday Evangelism because I really firmly believe the church and every believer is being called into a season of living evangelism, living discipleship, that it is not this far-off, unattainable thing, but it is every day in our life to share the hope of Jesus Christ. But today, we're going to end. Uh, but let me give you a little summary of where we've been so you know where we're at, because I know it's kind of coming up on the tail end of summer, so maybe you were or weren't here, but let me give you a little explanation. Is that okay? Okay, so Elijah is a prophet of God. He's meant to share the word of God with the people of God. And he has, we saw him in the intro, go to the king of Israel, King Ahab, uh, the king of uh, Judah as well, and really speak into uh, his evil behavior and begin to speak out against the evil that they've been doing. And he said there's going to be no rain in the land. And so for years now, there has been no rain. And immediately after that moment, after prophesying, God takes him to a place called the Kareth Ravine or the Brook of Kareth. And in this space, it's a dry space. He learns how to really fully trust in God. And from that moment, God takes him from really teaching him how to trust in him completely. He provides him food by ravens. It's super cool. Uh, bread and meat from the sky, which sounds awesome. If you have lunch plans, I, I would recommend it. Um, and he takes him from there to Zarephath to a widow who is so distraught over the state of her life that she's just hoping that her and her son would have enough to eat and to die. And instead, God uses Elijah to teach this woman in this moment. We say, hey, listen, just as I've learned to trust in the Lord to provide, I think you should trust in him to provide. And she does. And I'll give you a guess at what God does. He provides. Good guess. Uh, and, so, and so God provides. And in that moment, uh, he stays with her for a while. But after that moment, God calls him to a mighty showdown on the top of Mount Carmel. And on the top of Mount Carmel, God brings together the, the prophets of Baal, this false idol, this false god that they've been worshiping, and Elijah. And there's 450 prophets of Baal and then just one Elijah. Uh, and the 450 prophets of Baal cry out for fire from heaven. Nothing happens. Elijah brings the people near. He prays. Fire falls and consumes them. Elijah has this incredible victory. He's so psyched that he runs ahead of a chariot, which is a pretty baller move, and gets to the city of Jezreel. And when he gets to the city of Jezreel and he's fired up, he encounters Jezebel, King Ahab's wife, who is probably one of the most evil women in all of history. And she says, I'm going to kill you. And you know the phrase, hell hath no fury, right? He runs. He runs all the way to the other end of the kingdom of Judah, as far down as he can go, and then even farther. And he is in complete depression. Elijah, the guy who just had this huge victory, in complete depression. And yet in that moment, it says God comes to him and speaks to him. He comes with fire and an earthquake and wind. But it says God's not there. But then it says then God comes in a still, small voice. 
The word there is soothing stillness. God comes in a voice of soothing stillness and speaks to him, and he gives him purpose. And he says, you're not alone. You're not, you have not failed. You're not without purpose. You have a purpose upon your life. We spoke on this last week. You can go back and watch it online. But after this moment, God gives him purpose. Elijah gets up, and he goes out of this purpose. And one of his purposes was to anoint Elisha, another prophet. Elijah says, I'm alone. No one's here. No one can carry this work. And God says, no, I got someone else who's going to come and support you. And this is where we are. Everyone still with me? Okay, good. We needed, we needed that summary. I want to jump uh, together to 1 Kings 19. And this is the question I want to kind of answer as we wrap up this series is, what do we do now? If you've been in church for a while, you've heard some sermon series, probably. If you've been at this church, you've heard us do sermon series. And whether that's expository, walking through scripture, or topical, spe speaking on a specific topic like relationships or all these things. And the question always is at the end of a series, what do I do now? I'm not just here for information. I'm here for transformation. But what do I do now? So I want to answer that question today. And I want to uh, answer it, obviously, through Scripture, because the Word of God is what we're here for, not the Word of Josh. So we're going to read it together. But let's pray together. We're going to jump in. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and active, God, sharper than any two-edged sword, God. We thank you that it comes in and it speaks into this moment into our heart and our life. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you just reveal the truth of the Lord through the word today? Would you soften our hearts? Would you open our hearts that we might receive from you? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's look together at 1 Kings 19.19. If you brought your Bible, open there. Uh, if not, the words will be on the screen. It says this, So he, Elijah, departed from there. There was the mountain where God encountered him. It says, And he found Elijah, the son of Shaphat, great name if you're picking a name for a kid, who was plowing with the twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Okay, stop there for a second. Elijah's with God. God gives him this purpose, this call upon his life. And so Elijah goes out, and he finds Elisha, and Elisha is a farmer. In fact, he's a farmer who it looks like whose family owns a good deal of land and is likely wealthy. How do we know that? Well, because it says they have 12 yoke of oxen. One yoke of oxen was quite a purchase, quite a, quite a status symbol to have a yoke of oxen and a plow and all these things. 12 that's, I mean, that's like a pretty, that's a pretty good move. You have money if you have 12 yoke of oxen. And so what it shows is he's there, he's plowing, he's working the field when Elijah comes and lays his cloak on him. Now I want to pause here for a second because I'm going to introduce something later as we look at Elisha stepping into his calling. But I need to lay some groundwork here so that we don't get any wrong ideas as I begin. Because sometimes when we begin to speak about a greater calling God has on our life, we begin to really knock and put down the mundane or the day-to-day -day or where we are right now. But when I see Elisha here, what I see is someone who is stewarding what we might consider mundane. But he is working the field and stewarding the field. And, and I think this is so important because we can sometimes we hear preachers and they're like, greater and big things and God has and has for this. And we feel, then we go home and we like have our normal day-to-day -day life and we just feel bad about having to do mundane things like doing the laundry. Like this isn't greater. Like this is mundane. This isn't, right? I thought I was going to like change the world. And we have this tension and disappointment in ourselves. But I want to I tell you today, and this, this might be, Countercultural a little bit, that I don't think 
we should reject the mundane or we should reject the rhythm of life that you're in or the place you're in or the field you're planted. Because what we see in Elisha is that he's stewarding where God has him planted right then in that moment. Elijah encounters him while he's walking in stewardship and faithfulness. He's plowing a field. It hasn't rained in three years. That's not a lot of fun. I don't know if a lot of you come from agriculture, but just go wait for it not to rain for three years and then go dig in the dirt and come back and tell me how fun that is. The answer is not fun. And I like digging in the dirt, right? But here is Elisha stewarding where God has him. And oftentimes what I'm noticing is like, especially when people talk to me about ministry, it's like people are waiting for that perfect job, that perfect opportunity. Like they keep quitting the hard ones, the tough jobs, the tough opportunities, because they're just waiting for that perfect thing. But can I, can I encourage you that stewardship and faithfulness is important. I'm just putting this here as a foundation. Is that why would God give you the cloak of anointing, a greater calling, a greater season, stepping into yada, 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 if you can't steward what he's given you right now? See, there's something important about faithfully stewarding where God has you. It's something important about faithfully stewarding the job that you're in, the family you have, the finances you have now, not in the future, the what you have right now. There's something important about that. But we reject that as some like, oh, I don't, I don't feel like I should be doing it. It doesn't feel good. I don't like this. Yeah, well, you're not going to like the calling either then. But Elijah comes and he lays the cloak on Elijah while he's in a place of stewardship. And I want to encourage you, if you are wanting or desiring or longing for greater things, the question we need to ask is, am I stewarding now or am I just waiting? I have this conversation with missionaries who are like, I'm going to go around the world and tell people about Jesus. I'm like, great, who did you tell about Jesus today? They're like, well, no, I'm going to go to Nigeria and tell people about Jesus. I'm like, no, you're not. Not if you're not telling about Jesus today. Because you need to steward where God has you now. Oh, I'm going to lead a ministry. Really? Where are you ministering currently? No, oh, nowhere. I'm just waiting. I'm in a season of waiting. I don't know what that is, but I can't seem to find it in the Bible. <laughs> just waiting. Just hiding. Just waiting. God uses people that hides, but it's a little bit better if you're consistent and faithful. Amen? Like, it's fine to be Gideon hiding in the wine press, but it's a lot more fun to be Elijah working the field to be Elisha walking behind and stewarding in faithfulness. So Elijah finds Elisha, you gotta be careful there, in the field, in the dirt, in the ox dung, right? In the stink, he throws his cloak around him and says, he puts his cloak around him as he goes by him. What a moment, right? You're just there. I mean, if you're up, just so you don't, so you know, when you plow a field with uh, a group of animals, it is some good work because you have to keep them walking in a straight line, and they're two multi-hundred pound animals, and you are one single person, and you're, you're guiding this plow, and you have to keep them going. So your hands are occupied as you're plowing a field, and you're trying to get it plowed because it just rained for the first time in like forever, and as that happens, Elijah comes by and hits him with the cloak, and then keeps going, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and as if you were plowing a field, you'd be like, you would have seen him coming. It's flat, right? You'd be like, what is this guy? What is this? Who is that? Is that Elijah? Who is, right? Who is this, right? I mean, word still travels, right? And as you're going, he gets closer to you. This is how you plow fields, by the way. And, uh, and then just lays the cloak on you and says nothing and keeps going. You're like, what? What has occurred? So as he laid his cloak upon him as he passed him by. 
Elijah's fascinating. Elijah's the first prophet to be identified by the clothing that he wears. Now, other prophets will be identified. Elijah's the first to be identified by the clothes he wears. And we know this because way, or in, sorry, later in 2 Kings verse 1, when Elijah uh, gives a prophecy and the king asks, who gave that prophecy? And they're like, oh, we don't know. But they say this, said he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he, meaning the king, says, that's Elijah. That's Elijah. Like, he was known, which is fair. If one of y'all started wearing a shirt of hair in here, we would know you. You're like, no one really knows me. I don't feel connected. Well, you could solve the first part and start wearing a hair shirt. We're like, that's Gary, hair shirt guy. He's not super connected, but he's well known, right? <laughs> what a leather belt. Beautiful, right? John the Baptist, he's later known, right? He's got that belt, or he's got that coat of camel hair. That just does not sound comfortable. I've pet a camel one time in my life, and it's disgusting. Um, <laughs> camels are gross. Anyways, I digress. He lays the cloak upon him, and the cloak was a symbol of the passing of the anointing. It was a moment to say, you are anointed. And so when a prophet lays a cloak of the prophet on you, what is he saying? You're anointed to be a prophet. Powerful moment. And so that's why I see in verse 20. Let's go 1 Kings 19, verse 20. It says, And he left the oxen, meaning Elisha, left the oxen. He left his job, right? And ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, then I'll follow you. And he, Elijah, said to Elisha, Go back again, for what have I done to you? Interesting. Elijah puts the cloak on Elisha, walks away, and Elisha runs after him. And I, and I want us to just think for a second here, because often when we read, especially the Old Testament, it's so detached from our time and our culture and where we live that we see these people as like cartoon characters, right? Like they're like these distant figures. We say these are stories from the Bible. No, they're not stories. This is literally history, right? It's a story in the sense that I'm telling you it happened, but it's real in the sense that it happened, these are not cartoon characters. You grew up in church, you had like the little felt board, like Elijah, <laughs> that they moved along. Like half of you, the grew up in church, like, I know that. The other half were like, felt? <laughs> what, what is felt, <laughs> right? But these are real people. And so like you and I, Scripture says Elijah was a man like you and I. Like you and I, they have emotions, and they process things, and they deal with—they don't have an infinite knowledge of the future. They know what they're facing right then in that moment, right? And so I want us to just think for a second. Imagine, if you would, that you are a farmer in the ancient Near East. I know it's a jump. But just, let's say, instead, let's imagine you're a farmer here in the very arid valley uh, right here in Phoenix, how awesome has it been? Have you driven around and seen how much more green the state is now that it's been raining, right? It's awesome. I drove up north, and I was driving up through Saguaro Lake, and there was, like, hills of grass. And I was like, what? <laughs> Who put this here, right? God did. <laughs> it's, like, kind of surreal and unnerving. You're like, something's wrong, right? Just, just imagine the same thing. Imagine if you were a farmer in an arid environment that relied on water. You hadn't seen water for years, but now you're getting the rains like we have been having. What would you be doing? You'd be jumping up and die, up and down with joy, and you would be working yourself half to death, right, to plant food because you haven't been planting for a while. It's, it's into this moment that God calls Elisha. 
It's this moment. They got, not during the famine. Think about that. In, in the world's eyes, this does not make sense. Why would you not call Elisha during the famine when he wasn't busy, right? When he was exhausted. He would have for sure left that job when things were bad. Everybody wants to quit on a bad day. Not a lot of people want to quit on a good day, right? You get that promotion, right? This is the farm equivalent of a promotion. We have money. We have things. Also, I want you to quit and leave. I'm sorry, what? Real person. And so here he is. He leaves in the middle of plowing. The oxen are just there like, what? So, okay, I guess we're good. In the world's eyes, I think that would be irresponsible, maybe selfish, right? Like his other brothers and sisters like, oh, my gosh, he's always hyper-spiritual. Elisha. But then he does something, and I love this about Elisha, does something even crazier is that he comes back and he takes his oxen and plow and he doesn't put it in storage. He doesn't give it to his family. He does this. Verse 21. And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Now, I love reading the ESV. The ESV does more like word-for-word -word translation, right? When you translate from an ancient language to a modern language, you got to choose, like, this word is literally this. This sentence structure is literally this. ESV is a little more literal. NIV is a little more thought-for-thought. Thought. So here's what the NIV says. Same scripture. It's just going to make a little more sense in the way we speak today. It says, so Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. Okay, that's an intense choice. Uh, in Jesus' parable, the prodigal son, the prodigal takes his inheritance and runs away and realizes, I've squandered everything, and comes back to the father, and the father embraces him, and he thinks he's going to be like his servant and his slave, but instead the father's like, let's celebrate, let's sacrifice a bull, right? Let's, like, let's take the fattened calf, and let's eat, and let's celebrate, let's party. And they, they, that's a big thing, right? Because when you sacrifice a bull or an oxen or a calf or anything in that time, it was meant to be an honor, meant to be a celebration a recognition, but he's going like way further with this. Let me put it kind of in modern terms. Imagine, if, if for those of you who have teenagers or know what a teenager is, imagine if you had a teenager and you came outside and you turned the corner to your driveway and there was the Honda Accord that you have given to your teenage son completely engulfed in flames, of, before which he is standing proclaiming, I think I'm going to do that internship. You'd be like, <laughs> what? <laughs> right? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why couldn't you just give it to your sister? It's like, no, it had to burn. Right? <laughs> if you are a sibling, you know nothing is too petty. <laughs> but that's the question, right? Like, here's an agricultural society, probably not been doing great the past couple years. And he's like, okay, guys, I'm going to burn the plows and on it. I'm going to put the oxen. I know they're worth a lot of money, but we're going to burn them. We're going to sacrifice them. Why does he do that? Bold move. Bold move. Why? Kind of selfish? They could have been used by other people. I think the answer kind of lies in Matthew 26. When Jesus is in Bethany, he's at the home of Simon the leper. And here's what it says in verse 7. 
Matthew 26, verse 7. I'm going to read it. The words will be on the screen. It says, A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. I, I kind of get where the disciples are coming from. They're like, man, a lot of money. We could have helped a lot of people. That would have really covered a lot of love the block. Why did you pour it out all over his head? Why spill everything? Why pour out everything? Why burn the plows, Elisha? Why burn them? Why sacrifice the oxen? Why feed the people? It was to demonstrate a clear break from the old life and the new life. See, stepping into the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ requires completely surrendering our old self to be made new. If you're taking notes, I, I just want to invite you to write this down right here. Transformation requires surrender. Transformation requires surrender. Elijah takes the thing that he has always known and he sacrifices it. He burns it up. But it's a way of saying there's no going back. He can't go back and get the oxen. He can't gut punch people, have them spit the oxen back up, and then it forms back into an oxen, and he goes back to It's gone, right? It's done. It's burnt. The plow is gone. It's th that means he is fully stepping in to the calling that God has on his life. It is hard to fully step in when you always have a fall back. See, some of you today have received the hope and healing of Jesus Christ, but you have a couple plows hidden in storage just in case he doesn't work out. You got some plows that you're just not quite willing to burn. And it's different for every person. For you, it might be that job that you know you're called to step out of into something new that the Lord has for you. Maybe for some of you, it's a relationship that's kept you chained to your old life. Pull this headphone out here. Maybe for some of you today, it's a habit. Maybe it's a pattern. Maybe it's thoughts. Maybe it's the way you view others. Maybe it's people's past mistakes that you still hold on. That's the plow. You just feel like you always go back to that. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's a victim identity. You're worried, if I step out of this, what do I have to fall back on? It's those things that keep us from saying to Jesus, I'm all in. See, Jesus came and he died for you. He gave up his life for you fully and completely. Jesus is all in, just so you know. He's all in for you. He died, he went to the grave, he rose again, and he invites you into the resurrection and new life. That's why our mission statement on the back wall, so that all people can experience the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus. Not a modified old life, a new life. But the reality is often we will keep things and hold on to things, plows that we really should have burnt. And I think it's important to say that God was not calling Elijah, uh, and I love this, out of like a bad season and a bad place. He was calling Elijah out of a good thing, right? Right? 
If we look at verse 1 Kings 19, 19, it says that there was 12 head of oxen, and he was one of the 12th, and we know that he was plowing when it was finally raining after a season of it not raining. Good season, good job. He's got a good family, probably with some money. But it wasn't God's calling upon his life. Farming is a great profession, but it wasn't what Elisha was called to do. And hear me, this is important. This is not a uh, quit your job message. <laughs> Here, here's my point if you're writing it down. Leave the good for the great. Leave the good for the great. But this is not a quit your job message. Here's what happens is that if you come into church dissatisfied and then the pastor gives a message like this, what can happen is like later I go on Instagram and I see some lar large form rambling that like everyone else is like, yes, this is so good, but it's not really so good. There's just billions of people on the internet that affirm the dumb things that we say. And it's like you already wanted to quit your job, but now you're using this message to be like, God's calling me out into a new season. It's like, no, pay your bills. Right? <laughs> Like, if God's calling you to quit your job, fine. But don't you dare use this sermon uh, in, your, in your ramblings about why you quit your job. And didn't, fine, if God's calling you, do your thing. But don't, don't religiously justify the thing you already wanted to do in your life, right? You do you. <laughs> don't bring me into it, right? I don't, don't tag me. Don't add me. I probably already muted you already, but let's not go crazy, right? Like, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Like, I've done enough youth camps, right? And then the kids are like, yeah, I just decided to, like, quit the football team because God's calling me to do a season. I'm like, yeah, bro, you have a game tomorrow, and you committed, right? It's the same thing, right? People, <laughs> we do this. But what we need is we need the gifts of the Spirit. When I'm saying leave the good for the great, what I'm saying is we need the gifts of the Spirit. And here's the gifts of the Spirit I mean. I know Pentecostals, we love speaking in tongues. We love the prophecy ones. We love those exciting ones. Here's the ones that I really like. Here are my favorite gifts of the Spirit. Discerning of spirits and wisdom. Those are my favorites. When we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, you know what I pray? That God moves in the gifts of the Spirit in discerning and in wisdom. Because that's how we know. Because when we need to leave something good for something great, something God, something God has called us to do, we need that discernment from the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what Elisha's doing. You know, that's, that's what my wife and I did when we moved here uh, from Arizona. I remember pe people being like, really, like, you're going to move now? Because what we had done is we had worked there for almost 10 years. Uh, we had felt a call of God on our life to come to Arizona, but we weren't really sure uh, when. But we'd been working there. We took this campus. It had, like, I don't know, 60 people. It was... You know, we, we got to really invest into that time and into that space. And I remember, like, working ourselves to build this—we had, like, this dome building that was really the worst-shaped building you could ever purchase on the earth. And I remember, like, literally sleeping on the rafters because we would paint into the night and then just lay there and sleep and then wake up and do it again. And that was my life, and that's what I got paid to do. Um, but anyways, it was great. And so we finally got into this space, and I remember being excited. I remember being like, okay, uh, this is going to be our campus and our space space, and it's awesome, and then it was like God was knocking on our heart, and he was like, Noah, I've called you to go to Arizona, and I was like, okay, yeah, but God, I don't have a job in Arizona. I have a job here, and I have a one-year-old, and we kind of, I don't, we'd like more of these little rascals running around. It's like, I don't really want to, to go right now until you give me a job, until you give me the details. Where are my control freaks at? You know what I'm talking about. I'll go where you've called me once you describe it to me in explicit detail, Lord, because you have the way. It's like, how many worship nights do I need to be at? It's like, God, show me your way. He's like, I have. And I'm like, no, no, no. 
write it out for me. <laughs> Long form. Can you email it to me, please? Josh at banner.church. Send me your will, O oh Lord, <laughs> as a weekly email blast. <laughs> and so we had to make a choice. Do we leave those things? Do we leave a good thing for what we believe is a God thing to move down here with really out of job and not really knowing and some couple crazy people that wanted to come with us? People were like, oh, why are you so invested in those people? It's like, because those are also people who literally burned the plows to move down here with no idea really except a calling from God on their life. And that was a crazy season. Crazy difficult season, crazy frustrating, but also crazy exciting season because we had to burn those plows to leave those things, to not have a fallback, to not have a go back so that we could fully step in to Banner Church. Like the reason there's a Banner Church. See, some of us, we hold on to the good thing and reject the God thing. My job is comfortable but I know God is calling me to step out over here in this way. My family's comfortable. It feels good, right? And I think that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, right? I'm not here to put anything down. Are you with me? To attack anybody. But some of you, maybe God's calling you to adopt or foster or bring in a child that has no family to invest in their life. And it's a good thing for a God thing. Maybe you're like, man, my finances are good. Made it through COVID. Actually doing all right. But you feel this tugging like God is calling you to be generous in some way, shape, or form. I'm not just saying here at Banner Church. I'm saying in your life. Maybe for some of you, you're like, my personal time is good. I like the amount of personal time. I like what I'm into. I like my interests. I like my personality and the things I go after and the things I pursue and the things I invest your time in. But you feel this pull from the Lord that God's calling you to invest into people. God's calling you to discipleship. God's calling you to shift from, I feel comfortable in a church environment, to where are my disciples that I'm developing? This is what God is doing. When God puts that calling upon us, often it's, it, sometimes it's not a calling from terrible to good. Often it's a call from good to great. And the question is, will you lay down the good for the great? This is important. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because I want you to think through this as you're asking yourself that question, you know, if I'm willing to lay it down. It's this. Opportunity has a cost. When we choose to follow Jesus Christ, nothing is off limits to God. It's not like, God, I give you all of my heart, but I keep this one part for myself. Well, then you haven't given God all of your heart. Right? God, you can transform me, but only this part. I said in first service, it's like uh, if you thought like Optimus Prime, like half transformed out of a semi-truck, how effective would that be? Just this half guy walking and this half semi-truck, right? It would be worthless. It wouldn't really be trans. That'd be the worst movie ever. It lasts about four seconds. They'd blow it up, right, with some kind of drone, and then it would be over, and Shia LaBeouf would just cry. That would be the whole movie. Because if like Bumblebee, you're like, transform, and it was like half of him was a Camaro and half of him was the monster just flailing, it wouldn't work. The same thing is true in our lives. If you only say, God, you can only transform half of my heart. You can only have half of my heart. It's not really, it's not real. I mean, we convince ourselves, but it's not real. We have to surrender and say nothing is off limits. Now, we're on a journey of sanctification for sure. No one's perfect. I'm not saying be perfect, but I'm just saying nothing in our life can be off limits to the Lord. That's why in 1 Kings 19, 21, we see, let me read that again. Elijah left Elijah. 
Elisha left Elijah and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elijah says, by laying his cloak, follow me. Elisha says, great, I'm going to give away everything and choose to follow you. As I was preparing, it reminded me of the rich young ruler that Jesus encounters. Jesus is walking, and he's, he's on his journey, and a, a rich young man comes up to him, and he has this encounter in Mark chapter 10. Let me read it to you. Verse 17 says, As he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him. I, I like this part. Look at verse 21. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, this is said out of love right here, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I like this. The rich young ruler says, God, I've done everything. I'm very pious. I'm very devout. I'm very spiritual. I have a spiritual gangster t-shirt that I got from the hippie juice bar. I'm so spiritual, right? So spiritual. And God's like, yeah, that's great. Jesus is like, that's awesome. I, I love that you've been doing that. Love that you've been leading a small group. Love that you serve on a team. Really cool. But there's something in your heart you've not been willing to give up. And he says, why, why don't you give up your wealth? That is an identifier of your life. Say, so give up your wealth. Give it away to the poor, and then you will truly be following me. Because if not, you're always having that fallback. You always have that thing. I'm going to trust God, but if God doesn't work out, at least I have my money. See, this was the problem with Baal worship. See, Baal was a god and. Baal was a false god. And false gods love to be polytheistic, right? Uh, multiple gods. And so it wasn't that the people of Israel and Judah were serving God or Baal. They were serving God and Baal. It's important because Baal was a false god who promised rain, which is why Elijah said, no more rain. And, you know, kind of show that Baal was full of crap. And they... The problem was that the people said, yes, God, Yahweh, we trust you, but just in case we also worship Baal, just in case Baal is true because we super want rain and provision. So modern equivalent, it would be like, God, I trust you, but just in case, just in case I have my finances. God, I trust you, but just in case I have me to rely on. God, I trust you, but just in case I have this, I worship this, I serve this, I give this. God, I trust you, but I either need God to show up or I just need to work harder. And so this was the problem. God, or Jesus is saying to the rich young ruler, listen, you have worshiped this money, and if you're not willing to lay it down completely, 
If you're not willing to surrender it completely, then the question is, have you really surrendered your heart completely? Listen, the question that we all need to ask ourselves in our own heart is, have we surrendered completely? What is it in our life that is off limits to God? What is it? Is it the way I, the things I like to do on the weekend? That's off limits to God. I'm working for the weekend, so the weekend is mine. And what I do on that is the concerns of me and me alone. That's great. But the problem is if we have the things that we refuse to lay down. I know churches historically, we love to preach on habits and like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Here's what I'm saying. Search your heart and ask the question, is there anything off limits to God? Jesus says, you're not going to be able to follow me until you give that away. Got to burn the plow. And it says the rich young ruler goes away sad because he had great possessions. And it says in verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are impossible, or all things are possible with God. I love this. It's the eye of the needle. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And I've heard people say, like, this is a gate in Jerusalem that they'd have to unload the camel and it'd have to go down on its knees to go through. No, this is literally a needle. He's saying, he's being excessively obtuse here. He's like, needle, camel, nope, right? It's pretty straightforward, right? This doesn't work. It's impossible. It's not that it's kind of hard for the person obsessed with their wealth to go to heaven. It is impossible. You can tell. You can tell because they have a hard time parting with it. They have every reason in the book why they shouldn't. And yet, Jesus is saying in this moment, listen, whether it's wealth or whether it's whatever's upon your life, if you have things you will not surrender, then you're not walking in the full freedom of Jesus Christ. But he says, the good news is that all things are possible with God. With man, it's impossible, but with God, it's possible. So hear me today. If you're like, I have money, does that mean I'm not going to heaven? Or like, I have a thing in my heart. If this building collapses, am I not going to heaven? That's not what God is saying. God is constantly doing a transformative work in our life, a renewing of our mind, right? Romans talks about that. And the question is, we search our heart and say, God, I surrender to you. And what's amazing is that God does a work in our life. Why? Because just like, uh, just like the rich young ruler, when Jesus looks at you, says he loves you, and he cares for you, and he longs for you to be transformed. But listen, if we want to step into the kingdom-building calling that God has for us, then we cannot be trapped by the plows of our old self. And I know burning them sounds painful. It's not like the most exciting sermon title. Burn your plows, right? But it is freeing. It's releasing. It's life. It frees us from a slavery to our old self. It releases, into a, releases us into a powerful purpose. And not only that, what we see over and over in Scripture is that not only does God release us from those things, not only does God say, come to me all who are heavy laden, all who are labor, and I'll give you rest, is that God in turn blesses us extremely extravagantly and eternally. 
God is a God who not only blesses with the joy on this earth amidst suffering, a God who, Jesus, who walks with us through our suffering and our tragedy, and the only God who can bring the brightness and life even in the darkest situations, but we serve a God who has an eternal place for us of no suffering and no pain and joy and life and celebration. God blesses extravagantly and eternally. I know it's warm in here, so if you need to like shake your arms for a second and just kind of like wake up for a minute, hear me say this because it's so important. God does bless. God blesses extravagantly and eternally. And, and, I, and I don't want you to hear this as like, oh, if you give up four things, God will give you eight. You know, like, it's, it's not that kind of message. Like, just name it and claim it, right? Nope. Also not that kind of message or that kind of church. This is a lose what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose message. Jim Elliott, one of my uh, really heroes of faith, yeah, even though his story of mission is relatively short. Jim Elliott, uh, he died on the mission field when he encountered the people that God called him to. But if you ever heard this story, then you'll know the end is that his wife and son went to that same tribe, led the whole tribe to the Lord, and they're all serving the Lord together. And in fact, his son has a totally redeemed relationship with the young uh, man who's now an old man who actually killed his own father. Nothing is impossible with God. But Jim Elliot is famously quoted for saying he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep, the wealth, the things. You're not going to take it with you. If the pyramids and the pharaohs have proven us anything, it doesn't matter how big you build the triangle, how big you build the pyramid, it's not going with you. It's not shooting to heaven. It's not transcending in the afterlife. It's going to rot till Indiana Jones steals it from you. That's it. That's it. But the blessing of God is greater than the sacrifice of man. My plow is not greater than his providence. I love, uh, right after Jesus says this about the people of great wealth, Peter, who's like always the spokesman for the disciples, I love Peter. Uh, I, I really identify with him as a person. Uh, but Peter says, I like this, Peter began to say to him, uh, see we have left everything and followed you. Like, he's making sure. Like, Jesus, we've been sleeping on the ground a lot, and I just want to make sure we're on the same page that we've left everything. So we're not like that, right? <laughs> and he's basically saying, like, what's our reward going to be because we have nothing, not even fish, right? Like, we have to steal it from young kids and then multiply it. That's how we do meals now. But Jesus said to him in verse 29, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children and lands, look he adds us, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Peter's asking, right? Jesus, we've left everything. What will we get? Jesus is saying, more than you could ever ask or imagine now for eternity. Peter left a career in fishing, but man, when he burned that plow, do you think he knew what he was going to see? Do you think he missed it? Do you think when he laid hands on people? Do you think when he saw people literally lifted up out of despair? Do you think he was like, gosh, I miss fishing? Probably not. <laughs> Maybe on the tough days. But Jesus says, 
you're going to see more than you could ever imagine. At the end of uh, Elijah's life, he's walking with Elijah in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2. And it says, when they had crossed, uh, that's the Jordan, when they crossed the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. That's a bold request. Band, you can come up. That's a, that's a bold request. Why is that a bold request? Well, one, Elijah is probably one of the most famous people in Hebrew history. Like so famous that when Jesus is doing stuff, people are like, this must be Elijah. That's how you know you're famous. When Jesus does something, they're like, maybe that's him. So famous, so well known. We see God move powerfully. And what does Elijah ask for? A double portion of the anointing. That's, that's a big deal, right? Twice as much as you have, right? Imagine if I go to like one of our associates, I'm like, what do you want? They're like, twice as much anointing as you. I'd be like, whoa, I mean, cool, good for you, right? But that's a big ask. But it wasn't countercultural. Because over and over, God was prophesying to Israel that they would receive a double portion. You've suffered, but I'm going to bring something greater. That's what he's asking for. I want to see even more than we could ask or imagine. 2 Kings 2.11, it says, And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. It says, Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. And when he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and struck the water saying where is the Lord the God of Elijah and when he struck the water the water was parted to one side and to the other and Elijah went over Elijah receives the double portion of the anointing of Elijah and goes on to do some powerful and incredible things why do I say this why jump like literally a whole book later because I want it to encourage us because I believe it should encourage us because in the moment when Elisha strikes the water and he sees God do a miracle, do you think he missed the plow? Do you think he missed the oxen? He's like, man, I, that was so cool, but I miss Betty <laughs> and other oxen. I miss him so much. No. Do you think he missed the plow? Do you think he missed the field? No. Why? Because God was moving in the way that he called him to move. I was thinking about this uh, when we were doing our Christmas at Tonalea. We do every year, we do a toy giveaway at Tonalea for families and at-risk kids. And we give away about 1,500 toys uh, at that outreach. And we interact with, you know, a couple thousand people because of parents and everybody hanging out and community people coming around. And I remember this really cool moment because we had to do a drive-through because of COVID. And so parents would drop their kids off. They'd go through the line. The parents would pull forward and then the kids would like hop back in and they'd take off. But in that moment, before they took off, we'd offer them prayer. Hey, if you want to pray, pull forward. We'll pray for you. And so many people were like, yes, pray for you. They're weeping. And I remember this one person who pulled in and they hadn't, she hadn't heard from her husband for months 
who had been deported, and she was just struggling, and she just felt like no one saw her, no one knew her, no one cared about her, and it was so awesome because I saw Christina just like leaning in, and they're both wearing masks, you know, like leaning in the car. I don't know, social distancing was gone in that moment. There's like leaning in, she's praying, and Carlos is there, and they're just like praying and interceding over her life, and she's crying out to God and giving her heart to the Lord, and I remember thinking in this moment, like, I'm so glad I left the good for the great. As hard as it was, as difficult as it was, as many struggles as there were, I'm so glad that I didn't settle into the good, but I stepped out into the great. In that moment, I did not miss a single plow I've burned. At that moment, I thought, man, would this have happened if I had not left that, if I had not burned the plows? See, some of you, God is calling you into new life, into a new season. But the question is not, not what will you do? What will you visioneer? What will you believe for yourself? What will you attain, become? That's not the question. The question is, what will you lay down? What will you surrender? What will you burn? Some of you, God's calling you into opportunity in your workplace or influence in your community or breakthrough in your family. But the question today is, will you burn the plow? Will you be stuck in another year of fallbacks? Will you step up into the greatest comeback ever known, the gospel of Jesus Christ displayed through your life where God is calling you? And that's our question today. I'm gonna invite you, would you stand with me? And I want you to think about what is the plow in my life that I need to burn? just a moment we're going to open the altar i've loved the altar time man first service it was just so great to see people praying for one another seeing god move upon lives and we've said from the beginning that we open this space not because the tile is more holy here but because there's something special when we take a step of faith and say god i lay it down at your feet I give it to you. And what we've seen week after week after week is God move upon people's lives when that happens. And miracles happen and life change happen. This is not about a show. This is not about a performance. This is not about the honor of the name on the building. This is about Jesus Christ, the name above all names, who sets us free, who releases us, who changes us. And I want to tell you here today that Jesus wants to do a work in your life if you would lay it down to him. The question is, will you burn your plow? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I just want this to be a you and Jesus moment. If you're here today, maybe you've never made that choice. Maybe you've never experienced the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. It's been hard for you to even think of laying down your heart and your life to him and saying, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. But I'm here today to tell you that Jesus loves you so deeply. And he longs to have a relationship with you. He came to this earth to die for your sins, to take the weight of your sin and shame upon himself, to have a relationship with you, to raise you up into new life, into the resurrection, that you might experience the freedom and the power of a new life. 
And today, if you want to make the decision to follow him, you want to begin that journey. We say the journey of following Jesus is many yeses, but it starts with one yes, which is yes, Jesus. I choose to lay myself down and follow you. If you want to begin that journey today, I'm just going to give you an opportunity. Every eye closed, every head bowed in here, in person or online. Would you just do me a favor? Would you lift your hand today and say, yes, Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life. I'm going to pray for you today. Jesus, we thank you that if anyone is in you, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That you came, you came, you who had no sin, to be sin for us, to take our sin upon the cross so that through you we might become the righteousness of God. That when God looks at us, he does not see our sin and shame. He sees us covered by the blood of Jesus. That anybody who is in you is made new. That they experience the new life in you this morning. And so we give it to you. We surrender all of our heart and all of our life in Jesus' mighty name. The second thing with your eyes closed and head bowed, I'm going to open up for you to respond at the altar time as we sing this song that says, I'm never going back. I'm never going back. I'm releasing it. I'm giving it to you. But before we do that, I want to pray for you today. If you're saying, I got a plow in my life I need to burn. Before, I, before you bring it to the altar, you're just feeling that tension right now where you need to lay it down. Before we open it up for you to come and set it at the feet of Jesus, you're just saying, right now I need freedom. I need the strength to release that, to burn this plow in my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hands with me? If you're saying, today there's a plow in my life I need to burn. I need to lay down. I want to pray for you, Jesus. We say thank you that there's life in you, Holy Spirit. You see the hearts of every person. And so I pray right now for a spirit of surrender upon this place, a spirit of release that we don't have to hold on to these things, but that we would release them to you in the name of Jesus. And in so doing, that there would be freedom by your holy name. We thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so there's freedom today. God, I pray as you're calling out your children to step in to a new season or a new place or a new calling, whatever it might be, God, I pray that there would be a release upon every life, a release of the things that have been in the past to define us, a release of the things that pull us back, a release of the things that hold us back. We pray, God, a release this morning in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. As the band worships today, I'm just going to invite you. We're going to open the altar. We're going to have a time of just bringing it before him. If you feel like today you need to lay that plow at the altar and just say, I'm burning my plows today. We open the altar right now. I just invite you to come forward and to have that moment with Jesus.